Hi, I'm Nick Horrocks from X.0 Advisory, and welcome to My Digital Journey, a series of podcasts about how technology continues to influence, challenge, and disrupt business. We'll hear from entrepreneurs creating online platforms, right through to adventurers using social media to develop their own personal brand. We'll also hear from people in more traditional industries about how digital is disrupting their prevailing business models and how they are looking to address these challenges. These podcasts aim to highlight the issues faced by businesses and entrepreneurs in the modern digital environment. What made them successful? What mistakes they made? How they look to the future? And how they financed those ambitions? Coming up in this episode. Hi, my name's Andrew Gething. I'm the founder and managing director of a company called Morgan Ash, and this is my digital journey. Trying to do health digitally is really difficult. It's easy for the healthy, but it's very difficult for the ill. And particularly when you get into areas of vulnerability, you get into Alzheimer's, you're talking mental health, um, then trying to get uh, accurate information for an underwriter or someone doing assessment is really, really difficult. Andrew Gething, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to be part of this um, project. It would be really interesting if you could just start and talk a little bit about you and your background and how you come to be involved in Morgan Ash. Yeah, so here's my background. So I'm originally, I'm as an engineer, so I'm a chartered structural engineer. Um, I started doing that, so I was on the drawing board, I was on, on site with a hard hat, uh, did that for many years, went out to the Middle East, came back, uh, then started doing engineering management then entered into my first software company through some colleagues. Uh, we had a company called Lincoln Software in Macclesfield. Uh, that took in some, we took in some funding from 3i. We then uh, sold that um, out to a company called Peer Logic, as a private company in San Francisco. Uh, that then got us out to a company called Critical Path, uh, which got floated. I then was involved with a computer games company in, um, in Cheadle. Um, uh, called Warthog, and I floated, helped float that on the stock exchange on AIM. Uh, and then I had a shareholding in a private shareholding, just some seed funding in a company called Alteryx Healthcare. And they were looking to do um, testing in the insurance sector. They already did testing in the insurance sector. But what, sorry, when you talk about testing in the insurance <coughs> sector, what do you, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, so if you apply for, particularly for life insurance, uh, simplistically, the life insurer wants to know your health. Um, I want to know ideally in your good health and if you're in poor health you're going to get you're going to pay more um, and to do that the traditional way was to you'd fill in a paper form uh, you then may send someone around to do some tests on you and you then may um, uh, you then may get sent off to a doctor's report or you may put you on an ECG depending on the risk and and we looked at that process and said well this is a pretty poor process I mean it was taking weeks the customer journey was poor the information you got was pretty poor and we said we could improve this and there was sort of two angles uh, after doing some research where we thought we could improve it one was to take a swab which had been done in the states so in the states uh, if you go to a financial advisor he'll stick a uh, it's like a toothbrush in your mouth um, take a sample of your cheek essentially some cells from your cheek uh, send that away but then that'll give you some information on on you particularly with your smoke or not a test for smoking so we looked at doing that um, and that was where all tricks had come in and uh, so doing that and also as we started doing the research for that we came across another process which was a uh, what we call a tele-interview which is a phone interview of the consumer so um, you literally phone them up and you ask them the medical information 
And simplistically, it's like a form over the phone is the simplest method of doing it. And we looked at that in the States, went over to there, uh, looked at the largest um, provider over there. They were doing tons of these. And we thought we could do a much better job of that by using nurses. So we then came back here and we set up Morgan Ash. So we set up Morgan Ash as uh, initially to do the phone interviews and to do the testing. Mm -hmm. The testing, we, we tried it for a few years and never actually took off. And what was the reason for that? Was it so, legislative or...? Yeah, no, no the, the interesting thing, so that the, if you compare the two different techniques, the nice thing about the phone interviews, you could just start off by doing 100 interviews. So you could start. The problem with the, the swab testing was you needed, you needed coverage across the UK and you needed all the advisors to do it and you needed all the... That, so it's too big a change. It's too big an innovation for already a pretty moribund industry who doesn't change. And we were too small to make that change with, with hindsight. Whereas the phone interview, we could just start small and grow. And, and that's the, uh, that, so that's what we did. And we, we started small and we grew. So we, you know, we had first contract with Friends Life and HSBC. And then we grew from there. And that went bigger and bigger over the many years. And that was the start of, of that. But the real, you know, you, you pair that back. And that was a particular technique we used the real issue was saying, well, if you think about insurance, insurance is really about customers, uh, you know, reducing the risk for a customer, and and to do that, then it's logistics, which essentially is IT, and and most of insurance companies uh, are not very good at IT and are not very good at being customer focused. So we thought there's actually a pretty good hunting ground for um, ad innovation into this industry. And so when did you start? So Morgan Ash started... So that was 2004. Right. Yeah, so yeah. 14 years ago now. 14 and, years ago. and when you started it up, yeah. as, as a sort of entrepreneur, I guess, yeah. scary, of course, and all, yeah. that, all that stuff. Yeah. But was it just yourself? Did you go in with the team? How did, how did you start uh, the business? Yeah, so originally introduced to, to it through um, a corporate finance guy, mm -hmm. um, as introduced to the Altrich team. So I ended up self-funding it. I did get a, um, uh, another private funder came in uh, and we started very small. So I, you know, I literally wrote the business plan. Uh, I looked at um, then investment through, I think it was Northwest Finance, who it was at that time. But then actually I met some other private individuals who funded it privately. So we started with relatively small, small funding um, and we managed then to, uh, to get a few customers. We did a few trials, it worked. And then we started building up from there. And so, fifteen years later, <coughs> fifteen years later, yeah. how 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 many people are you? Where are you? Where are you based? What's the so yeah? So we're based in Cheshire. We have probably about twenty full time equivalents yeah. and about uh, eighty odd nurses. The nurses yeah. will part time. Yeah. Uh, so the nurses work uh, from their home office. So it's a virtual uh, uh, office, um, and then it's all backed by technology. So. The office is relatively small. It's relatively compact. Uh, our overhead to keep the overheads down. Um, and it's all about having a good, empathetic uh, conversation over the phone. So we have, at the moment, we have, um, I have some ladies in Germany, uh, German-speaking ladies, who do interviews for our, our client in Germany. Um, and the, uh, the appointments are coming in. Uh, they're literally picking up the phone, talking to the client, doing what you'd refer to as a medical history, uh, which is, is actually very detailed medical history. Uh, into a scripting system that's all being collected report generated and send it back and there's no one else is touching it there's no other human interaction so everything else is automated and, and the key bit there is to you know the actual conversation uh, with the nurse uh, the probing the interaction uh, the human really human part talking about your health is um, uh, that is really precious and, and, and that is where the value is the rest sending data back and forward let the IT do that so 
moving on from where you are currently, you've talked about how how technology forms a key part of your business. Where is technology going to take Morgan Ash then in the next yes. two, five years? And, and and maybe not just yourself, but the sector more generally. But the sector, yeah. So I, I think the industry is in a real interesting uh, space at the moment. Clearly it realises it's got to move on to technology. I, I think people are trying to um, uh, leap and, and have a super online digital journey. And, and that's great, uh, but the interaction with customers is, in a lot of those cases, is not happening. Certainly, the direct-to-consumer sales for life insurance, for example, is, is really struggling. And, and lots of people have tried it over the last few years. What, what I think you, you know, you're using technology for is doing all the admin, doing all the straightforward stuff. When it comes to people interaction, you know, uh, it's still, that is still done by humans. So, but there's an awful lot we can do uh, to improve that. And there's an awful lot we can do to, to make that better. People still value talking to someone. You know, if, if I if I'm if I'm taking a pension annuity, um, you know, a few hundred thousand pounds, actually, uh, you know, I may want to talk to someone to to reinforce what I'm doing is right. A lot of people have jumped trying to do a digital journey, but but trying to do health digitally is really difficult. Um, it's it's easy for the healthy, um, but it's very difficult for the ill, and, and particularly when you get into areas of vulnerability, you get into Alzheimer's, you're talking mental health, um, then trying to get. Uh, uh, accurate information for an underwriter or someone doing an assessment is really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a real skill behind that. Yeah, um, And I think that's a really interesting area that probably worth just you elaborating on. Um, you know, vulnerability of people and potentially patients and potentially customers in a digital world. Yeah, okay. so, so the FCA, Financial Conduct Authority, has a particular um, angle at the moment. It's saying to the industry, you have to look after vulnerable customers. And traditionally, the industry hasn't done that very well. And, and there's several things happening. So as we go more digital, most of the digital journeys at the moment are, tend to be mono-process. So you've just got really one way of doing things. And, and that, A, it doesn't suit everyone, um, but also a lot of people uh, will may fall out of that process. Um, so you think we've got an ageing society. Um, also, from a financial point of view, you've got a lot of, um, you know, the oldies, there's a lot of money in the oldies. The youngsters um, you know, can't afford a house. There's not a lot of money there at the moment. So the, the people with the money are uh, not necessarily the ones who want to do, you know, a very slick customer journey. Now, now clearly, there are lots of people who are and can do that and will use apps and all that. And it's brilliant. But what we're finding is, and, and this is the FCA is, 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 is flagging this up, is you've got to look after vulnerable people. So you have people with, you know, interest-only mortgages who are, are going to come to the end of their interest-only mortgage. They, they, they may be on their own. Uh, they may be suffering a bit of dementia. And are we going to throw them out on the street? And the answer is no, as a society, we can't. As a society, we can't. And, and the FCAs, we could say we can't. So how are we going to manage that person? And, and at the moment, we don't really have a good answer to that. Uh, I mean, that's perfect. The banks aren't throwing those people out on the street. But how we manage them, how we understand them, and how we understand their, their vulnerability is a really difficult issue. So we, we've come up with, uh, because managing health is, is our, and, and the digital age is our, is our whole thing, we've come up with what we call a resilience score. So we like to think of the positive about um, is vulnerabilities, talk about resilience. Um, and we believe you should be able to measure it and manage it, and, and, we, and you can. And if you have a resilience score, we believe you should use that just like a credit score. So a credit score is essentially a measure of debt used by financial companies to protect themselves. 
And a resilient score is a measurement of uh, uh, their finances, essentially their health and their wealth, and is used not only to protect the, the company, but also to protect the consumer. So we think, and this is, you know, over many years, we'll see a huge move to having these far more capability resilient scores. So ours is called Mars, which is the Morgan Ash Resilience Score. We've scored, it has a whole load of different components. So very simplistically, that includes the, the wealth of the person, um, the money, their financial capability, simple things like if they can speak English, so if they have language challenges, um, their health, then we divide that into physical as well as mental. And then and we score that, and we score that down very simplistically on a 1 to 10 score. Uh, one is 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 not very well, and indeed zero is 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 dead. Um, you need to cover that on the database, and and ten is is you're you're very healthy and you're financially capable, and you know most of my contemporaries and that will be be up in that score. But there are a lot of people who are not, um, and there will be people who will be very healthy but are um, maybe discalculate. So or there'll be people who are very bright but are suffering from Alzheimer's. Um, so. Uh, how do you understand that and how do you record that data? And, and we have to codify it in a way um, because computers like, you know, simplistically, you, you, you can't have handwritten notes saying, oh, this person is maybe suffering a little bit of dementia. So, and, and that is essentially codifying health. It's essentially what medical underwriting has been doing and that's what life insurance has been doing, what we've been doing for the last 14 years. Once you codify it, you can then, you can swap that data between people. So one of the problems at the moment is uh, a, a financial advisor or some salesman may speak to a consumer and, and may realize they have some problem. And it may be they've just been briefed, um, you know, uh, uh, a week before. And, and really the solution is there is to, is to, is to not force them in decision, but leave them for, for several months until they come back and have that. Understanding that uh, and understanding that situation, if that is passed on, is really helpful so how do you codify that and pass that on from maybe one company who's doing the sales or distribution to the product manufacturer, the life insurer or the or retirement planning company to, to pass that on without having lots of handwritten, um, you know, unstructured textual notes? And, and, and the idea is, is to have a, a score which you can pass that on just like you would pass on a credit score. And, and the great bit about credit scores at the moment, oh, they're pretty crude, you know, is that for those people who are who are trying to find debt, those are available and you can access them. They're very cheap and you can pass that information between and most people understand them. And so our, our rationale start, came back and said, well, actually, when we talk about vulnerability, we need something as simple. We need something as simple. And, and that's what the Mars score does. It gives you a very simple high-level uh, overview of it. And then when you drill into it, you'd go, okay, this person, they are scoring a two. Why is that? Okay, well, they're scoring a two because yeah. they were breathing. And, and can that all be done pretty much digitally and remotely, or does that involve a lot of human interaction as well as part of that process? Well, there's the rub. So both, yeah. I think, is the yeah. answer. So you'll have, for example, a, a bank may have a whole mortgage book of, of tens of thousands of people. So how do you start by not incurring a huge amount of cost to get that data? Well, we have done some digital modeling. Mm-hmm. So you can you can you do model of, of data which is available digitally. Um, and taking age, postcode, social demographic data, um, data for marketing, that sort of thing. You can do some modeling there. It, it, I, that will certainly be part of the solution. Yeah. How far that will take us, we don't know yet. Yeah. Um, there is certainly some very good work going on in some of the banks. For example, uh, they can um, uh, identify patterns of behavior whereby um, you can see if someone's on gambling sites. Yeah. So it could reduce the gambling problems, that's the gambling vulnerability. Yeah. So there's some, some digital ones which would be very good digital solutions which will really help in some of this. 
there's others certainly when you get into the oldies and you're talking those people who've got, who have got Alzheimer's where it's really difficult to think how you're going to get that data and how you're going to manage that. So you are going to have some sort of more interaction and human, human yeah. interaction to do that. And how, how do you manage any GDPR issues here? Because clearly there's a lot of very sensitive information that is being Absolutely, shared. yeah. So GDPR clearly uh, you know, is uh, sensitive data and you've got to hold that. But, um, and people get very scared about GDPR. The reality is if you're holding some data for someone and it's for that person's benefit, then they're in most cases quite happy for the whole that data. So the classic example is, uh, and so, so everything, every data you hold, you have to have permission, explicit permission to hold that data. And that goes absolutely for the Mars score. So the classic example is, you know, your, your mum is getting a bit old. She's maybe on her own. You go into the bank and say, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. And the bank say, well, I can't, you can't do that. GDPR, I can't talk to you. Yeah. You phone up utility company and say, I can't talk to you. So at the moment, you know, you're just going, I want you to know this information. I want you to hold that information. So there's huge benefit to a lot of us to having information held on this information, mm. held on it. So, But I think there's, there's an issue. I think having that information somewhere yeah. is good. How it's shared and who it's shared with, Correct. I think it becomes, the, becomes yeah. the issue then. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but, but metadata or data adapt about data mm. is now. So every bit of data, you can, have, you can hold data on who you allow permission. So you can imagine I would have, um, and I do in fact look after my, you know, some finances for my mother, mm. that I could have permission um, uh, to do that. And, I, and my mother might grant me permission to do that. I might have permission and I might then share that with my utility company, my bank, my financial advisor. And, and I'm giving that explicit permission for those to be done. So the permission, so every bit of data you need to know, you know, where does it come from and what permissions does it have? Yeah. You could move that forward and see, and this is this is moving quite a bit forward. That actually, you know, that data could be held, um, you know, by the consumer. Can consumer owns the data, and the consumer could say, "Well, I want I want to uh, approve that data." Equally, you know, if a um, uh, a bank could see that that had been uh, updated recently by yesterday by the utility company or the electric company, you might go, "Well, that's actually." Um, I, I, I'm, I'm believing that. Mm. Equally, if it sees that data has not been updated for six months, 12 months, they might say, okay, we need to go back and check and collect more data. Mm. So there's a massive underlying uh, digital data storage and any, any data storage mm. nowadays has to have uh, uh, ownership and permissions as part of it. I mean, you're exploring a really interesting world, which I suspect legislation is struggling to keep up with and insurance companies are grappling with. Yeah, what, what do you think the timeline is then for, for this this kind of information to be you know actually something that yeah we'll we'll use I mean we're all familiar with credit scores now but yeah you know, what, what do you think the timeline is for something like this well to a certain extent some of it's already been done yeah. so uh, and, and people are doing stuff at the moment so for example if you're doing uh, if you'll take out an equity release product at the moment mm-hmm. so you, you effectively you take a loan on your property yeah. you will go through a a essentially vulnerability check However, that that the most people at the moment that is just a um, it's 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 pretty subjective. Uh, it's just recorded by the salespeople, yeah. and it's not passed on to the product provider, who then may end up yeah. owning the product. So some of it's happening. Uh, uh, we just need to uh, uh, improve it. We need to make yeah. it objective. We need to put it into a score. Then it can be shared with others. You know, equally, uh, if you look at um, mortgage holders and that sort of thing in existing mortgage books, they may do existence checking once a year. 
which is kind of the simplest, simplest vulnerability <laughs> check uh, that someone is, you know, are you still alive once yeah. a year? You know, there is some minimal stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what will happen is we'll gradually, you know, improve on that. And, and there's, you know, how does innovation happen? Mm-hmm. It'll be fits and starts. Yeah. Um, some people come out with some new new technologies. Some people come out with different things at the yeah. moment. There are some other people doing some things where you could, so uh, as a customer, you can go onto a website and you could put in the details you want to share with others. Yeah. There is a huge opportunity um, or challenge maybe, which hopefully people will, will come up to. And hopefully we'll do part of it. Yeah. Uh, we won't do all of it, but we'll hopefully we'll be part of that journey. And do you think legislation needs to change to kind of uh, drive drive this or do you think it's 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 more a commercial requirement from from the insurance industry that's going to drive this yeah so the fca is 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 already legislating on it yeah um one of the big debates which has been going on in the background has been um so the fca has a requirement at the moment to what's called uh, tcf treating customers fairly <laughs> they're having a debate uh about uh should that move should the goalposts move to duty of care mm-hmm. um it's interesting only yesterday that the government came out and said we are going to insist on the uh, the tech companies, the Facebooks and things on the internet to have a duty of care. The utility companies have a duty of care, uh, you know, not to cut the gas off to to little ladies and that sort of thing. So, uh, and that is already regulated. So the FCA is actually is consulting in Q2 2019 and will come out with uh, more guidance on that. Uh, and I think it will slowly increase over time. It all sounds very very interesting, and obviously the, your business has evolved from when you first started sure. it um you say you're now 20 people you've got a board yeah people around you yeah when it came to picking people to work alongside you at a board level how did how did that come about how did that develop um so our chairman we when we first started we want we we weren't from the industry so we wanted an industry uh, person so uh, so jim randall our chairman is is an xmd of a reinsurance company in the uk and he's been with us ever since and then, uh, so just uh, him uh, and me have been the board. Then we added another uh, non-exec last year, a guy called Simon Little, who's an expert in the later life lending space, uh, all to do with vulnerability. And then I kind of use my um, my principal investors, uh, who are private investors and, and friends, as as um, other people to bounce ideas off. Uh, indeed, I although they don't have any fiduciary responsibility or any regular responsibility, we do get together and I present what we're doing and what we're going forward. So they are, in, in a way, there's like a, a, a non-regulatory board from that point of view. Moving on, in terms of what, what else is Morgan Ash up to? What, yeah, so, so we started in this medical underwriting world and we've evolved. So so two things we're now doing, uh, which are now, are now live. One is a, a service called Care Navigator, uh, which is finding care homes for oldies. Mm-hmm. So that has been live uh, over a year. So that has been uh, and has been promoted by the financial services sector. Mm-hmm. And it'll go live uh, with LV within uh, uh, within a matter of days. Uh, and that'll get out to hopefully 1.1 million of their members. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to work with other financial companies. And this all sort of fits into that vulnerability area. How do you help an elderly population in this care space? So Care Navigator is is absolutely is very much deliverable. Sort of vulnerabilities is a kind of a um, something which is probably not going to earn us any money for a few years mm-hmm. until while we do a lot of development. Uh, but Care Navigator is is a service that's up and running now. And the other one is a um, which is our big growing area is a service we call crisis support. So we yeah. look after ill people, yeah. and and those are uh, ill because they're claimed on insurance policy, and and you know a third of mental health, a third of musculoskeletal, a third of then their cancers. And we look after them and we what we call nurse case management. So we manage these people through their condition. 
And that's incredibly uh, empathetic and it's incredibly helpful. And the, and the case studies and people are just massively grateful mm. for what we're doing. So we've changed that from just uh, taking people on from when they claim on their insurance to if they're absent from work. Mm. We're now doing that to companies. So I had a call just before Christmas. It's from the managing director. The individual wasn't very well. Uh, they had been in some counselling. We got them into counselling and they're now back at work. Uh, went back mm. in February. So uh, that's a great story. A uh, lot of problems uh, you know, with mental health in the workplace. And actually, a lot of those things you, you can help and sort out relatively cheaply. But they are ma- massive problems. I was talking to someone yesterday about doing it in schools, which, yeah. again, is another big opportunity. What are the biggest mistakes <laughs> that you've made? I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've probably made many, but I guess, yeah. And, and what have you learned from them? I mean, everyone's made mistakes. I yeah, I, I mean, you know, so, so we, we moved into doing pension annuities uh, and then the Chancellor killed the, killed the annuity industry. Yeah. So, you know, as a revenue line, that suddenly plummeted. Was that a mistake? I don't think it was a mistake. You know, it, it was a regulatory change which caused us out and caused us our revenue to go down. No one knew about it. As a small company, you know, you tend to be a one-trick pony. So we've tried to increase and do different products and try to expand from where we are. Um, I think you can only, you know, there's only so far you can expand. So I either, you know, I want to do new products to my existing market mm-hmm. or take my existing products to a new market. But we probably, we're too diverse. We probably have too many products for the size of a company. Um, in doing that but equally that takes us into lots of new avenues yeah. I'm not sure although clearly with hindsight we've made mistakes I'm not sure I can say you know uh, you know things I regret from that point of view and just in terms of your your sector is digital an opportunity then or is it a threat or is it a cause for risk cause for concern so there's lots of buzzwords coming in yeah. artificial intelligence and all these yeah. sort of things it's all using technology to, to do stuff yeah. digital I you know tend to refer to as, as, as people presenting a digital interface an app essentially to a consumer absolutely it's an opportunity i think it's not all as some people are thinking it's going to be their valhalla you know we've had incremental improvements by using technology and those will carry on and carry on uh, continuously as new tech comes on and we manage to do things but I, i'd slightly anti the sort of fashion of oh the ai is the next best thing well it, it's been actually it's been around for a long time uh, it's absolutely becoming more useful. It's becoming more pervasive, uh, but it's not going to solve everything. So for me, it's all about understanding the customer, the business, the rationale, and then how can you make that more efficient? But just coming out with something totally whizzy and bang, a lot of the times those things just completely miss the customer journey. So Andrew, final question. What advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs looking to start their digital journey? That's a really difficult one. I mean, I think there's all the classic stuff about doing your research, planning and so forth. Uh, I think having good people around you, certainly you have to be pretty driven. I, I think you, you've got to look for value. Uh, personally, I'm not a big fan of things which actually, you know, maybe making money, but not adding a lot of value to the business or society because generally they're pretty short lived. You know, if you have happy customers, uh, so we have customers who have been, you know, with us right from the start, you know, that makes life a lot easier. Uh, a great phrase, look after your customer and don't worry about the competition is a, is a great phrase. Yeah, I, I, there's probably lots of words of wisdom from that point of view. I, I think it, the, hardest, the hardest bit is the, is the individual, you know, and, and where their drive is and where their passion is and, and is that allied to, and allied to a particular, you know, a, a real, something which is really going to be a real business value. Andrew Gething, thank you very much indeed. Um, really interesting to share your thoughts on what's going to be, I'm sure, something that's going to become more and more uh, prevalent as as the years go by. Many thanks indeed. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 
I'm Nick Horrocks from X.0 Advisory. Make sure you subscribe for the latest episode of My Digital Journey.